Welcome to Coastal Front, where today we're honored to host Kara Lee, philanthropist, entrepreneur, and chair of the Vancouver Chinatown Foundation. Carol co-founded the foundation in 2011 with a mission to revitalize Vancouver's historic Chinatown culturally, economically, and physically. She has spearheaded key projects like the 58 West Hastings Project and a social housing initiative that also includes a large health care center. Besides her philanthropic work, Carol is a notable businesswoman. She serves on boards like BC Achievement and the Harvard Business School Canadian Advisory Board and has earned accolades including being named one of BC's most influential women and the Order of British Columbia in 2021. She has honorary doctorates from UBC and BCIT and a Queen Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee Medal. Congratulations. Entrepreneurship runs in the Lee's family as she recently entered the restaurant business with Chinatown Barbecue, which we'll have to get into that, <laughs> which has become a local hit and contributed to the area's revitalization. Today, we'll explore Carol's, Carol Lee's multifaceted life, her community initiatives, and her vision for Vancouver's Chinatown. Carol, welcome to Coastal Front. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to start by introducing to our listeners and viewers a little bit more about Chinatown Foundation. It was an initiative that you launched in 2011, but I'm sure you were thinking about it before that time. So why don't you start by helping our listeners and viewers understand a little bit more about your original vision and how this came about uh, over 10 years ago now. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, was born and raised in Vancouver, uh, second generation Chinese Canadian. And so I spent in my early days a lot of time in Chinatown. And like many people, you sort of move away. I went to school in the States and I came back and it was about 2004. And it was kind of distressed to see the state of the neighborhood because growing up, it was a wonderful, bustling neighborhood, really felt like community. So I set my office up there. We had a building that we've owned since 1921. And over the course of the next, like, you know, eight years, I could see that if we didn't do something to help save the neighborhood, it would eventually just disappear. Okay. So in 2011, I decided that I would try and bring together a group of indi individuals that I thought could help with the revitalization. Okay. People like, you know, my father, Bob Lee, Grant Louie, and Caleb Chan, like a number of notable people who would who really cared and, and had spent a lot of time in, in Chinatown. And um, the mission was to help revitalize this neighborhood, this historic neighborhood, while preserving its irreplaceable cultural heritage. And I've said before that sometimes you don't realize how important things are to you until you're at the risk of losing them. I see. And I think that was really it for me. Like growing up as a young person, I didn't really love going to Chinatown. Like, you know, in those days, <laughs> you actually didn't want to be Chinese. You wanted to blend in. I think everybody wants to have the sense of belonging. We grew up in the North Shore. There were that many Chinese families. So it wasn't a place that, you know, it was like, oh, I love this neighborhood. But, you know, many years later, sort of seeing it in the sort of the sort of the decaying state that it was in, knowing that if we didn't do something collectively as a community, it would eventually disappear. That's kind of why I thought, you know what, this is an important piece of our Canadian history. Mm-hmm. And, and more than that, like so many, like I grew up in, in Vancouver, but so many of my friends, Chinese and non-Chinese, had such 
warm, nostalgic feelings towards this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like when you were growing up in that generation, like people didn't have a lot of money. So if you wanted to take your family out for dinner, it was probably the only place you could afford. Yeah, absolutely. So so many people had very fond memories of, of Chinatown. And I thought that it was worth saving this neighborhood for that, but also because of what it represented. It was really, if you think about the contribution of the Chinese railroad workers, um, Canada probably wouldn't have been a country if they hadn't come here to finish that last leg of the railroad. Yeah, We could easily be a part of America today. And so for me, Chinatown really was the physical legacy of that sacrifice and contribution. So, yeah. so there was a, a number of reasons why I thought it was important to save. Well, that's really good. That's a great uh, background on how this came about. And I, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I remember my grandfather taking me down there uh, as an experience. I mean, I'm born in the early 70s, so going down there as a child uh, once or twice to see it. And I grew up on the island, so I didn't get a chance to go there very often, but it was quite a fun and, you know, mm. very lively environment. Yeah. Um, you talk about wanting to revitalize Chinatown. You have these memories as a child that you reflect on now and you have maybe more positive memories than you might have had at the time. When did you, I mean, you came back, you said 2004. Four, yeah. But you must have come back at times before that, you know, maybe you have, have school breaks to, and, yeah. and you. there was a point at which this changed, right? Chinatown changed from being something that you and others in the community yeah. would be proud of to something today you would look at and go, we need to fix this. Yeah. Was there a certain decade or era or time that you, Carol, that you saw that pivot, that change when you look back now? Was it was it the 1990s? Was it the 1980s? What? 1990s, I yeah? think. I would say the 1980s was still kind of a peak. It was still booming. Uh-huh. But it was sort of in the early 90s that uh, things started to change. And it was a multitude of reasons. Yeah? You know, sort What of, do you think they were? Well, you know, sort of, you know, you know, a lot of urban issues that have been plaguing many big cities, mm-hmm. you know, homelessness, drug addiction, poverty. Yeah. But also with the Chinese, that was the place that everybody wanted to go. But as it became so successful that they started making communities outside of Chinatown. So in Richmond and Burnaby and Coquitlam. So all of a sudden people are spreading around and there was no longer a need to come to Chinatown if you needed to have Chinese food or okay. had to buy groceries. Yeah. So there's other options. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what does re- revitalization look like for you today? Like you were in 2023, you've been at this with this foundation that you, you, you started in 2011. Yeah. So we're 12 years. Yeah. Um, how, what kind of progress have you made and where do you, where do you want to see this go? So, you know, when I first told my father about it in 2011, he actually was very discouraging. He goes, it is impossible. And my father was no stranger to taking on big projects. You know, he did UBC Properties Trust and, you know, we thought that was crazy uh, or going to be really difficult. But he said, I want you to know this is going to be 10 times harder than what I did at UBC. And I think that, you know, sometimes it's good going into a project being naive. So, and I'm also kind of stubborn. So I thought that, (laughs) first of all, like, Two good pieces for the, for, to the formula. <laughs> <laughs> how, not how hard, but if we don't, my response to him, but if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And so I think that that was the, sort of, I grew up in that kind of family. Um, we think about community a lot. Um, we like working to make things better for a greater good. So I eventually persuaded him to support me in doing this. And um, 
I think that the other thing is I was able to convince him that it was worth saving. You know, he had a very different vantage point than I did. When he was growing up, so he was born in 1933, it was a ghetto. You weren't allowed outside of the neighborhood. So once you got to a stage where you were successful, you could move out, you didn't really want to think about Chinatown the same way. You were trying to get out. Mm. Where I looked at it quite differently, this sort of nostalgic neighborhood, it was it was an important part of the fabric of the city, the province, and the country. So, so we eventually kind of saw eye to eye, Yeah. and he was a huge champion, I think, in the end. And... And when we've, we've got this big project that we're working on right now that I'm almost completed, but it's a social housing project at 58 West Hastings. Yeah. And, you know, once again, he goes, it's going to be impossible. But but it's like nothing is impossible. We send people to the moon. Yeah. How hard can it be? And so That's sometimes true. you just have to be persistent and not give up. And I think and naive and stubborn. And naive, definitely <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> and naive yeah. helps as well. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> does. Good for you. Well, that's that's a good story. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about how um, when maybe when you were younger, you had this mixed feelings of you had enjoyed going to Chinatown, but you also wanted to blend into the Canadian yeah. society. And one of the things that I think is really great about where we live, today, where we're at today in our society here in Canada, is we champion. Uh, culture and we ch- it's like we're not asking every I mean we, we need to obviously have people assimilate to a certain extent so yeah. we can have a conversation in a common Absolutely. language but it's it's nice to see today where we can have that proper balance better balance of saying hey you know what the Chinese Canadians and Chinese families that came here from yeah. from uh, from the other side of the water had a huge contribution to our society so let's like let's name that and let's be excited about it I think so. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I, we have a saying, so we've got, we opened um, the first permanent exhibition space to tell the Chinese Canadian story. It's called the Chinatown Storytelling Center. And really, for me, the, the, the driving motto was, you know, you need to have pride in your past to have hope for the future. Okay, nice. And I think that, you know, for me growing up, it wasn't, and I know a lot of other people that felt the same way. We didn't, it was hard to be Chinese back then. Mm-hmm. You know, there was still a lot of discrimination, and um, so you tried very hard to blend in. And I think part of the mission for me is to make people feel proud of that history, and I think it's it's working. Yeah, I, we get a lot of young people coming in, and so that they have a chance to see it in a very different light than the way I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, we're going to talk about a few of these items, like um, uh, dealing with the uh, issues of of racism and Asian hate in in a moment. But I want to keep on the theme of revitalizing Chinatown. Now, you're doing this also not just at the foundation level, but as an entrepreneur, you've got um, you've got your restaurant, <laughs> Chinatown Barbecue. Now, I made a point of making sure I ate lunch just before we got Did into you really? this. Before we got into this, because otherwise it's going to start salivating. But fill me in, because that sounds like a, a great place to eat. So, what is Chinatown Barbecue? How did that come about? Well, so it was part of this overall revitalization strategy. And if you think about the economic revitalization, I think that in any vibrant Chinatown, you have a bustling food scene. Yeah. So the restaurants that I was seeing that were opening didn't really, for me, satisfy what I was looking for. Chinatown restaurants tended to be sort of multi-generational. I love seeing you know, a grandparent with some parents and then some children. And the restaurants that were opening didn't really, they weren't places that I necessarily could take my grandmother. So I told my father, I said, I, the foundation can't do it. It's too risky to do a restaurant. 
I said, I'm going to do it on my own. It just about shot me again. <laughs> and he goes, well, you don't know anything about restaurants, and it is the worst business ever. But I said, I want to show people what an authentic revitalization could look like. So I rented a space. It was a pottery store, hired somebody to help do the design. And then um, we opened six years ago. And I'm very proud to say, unfortunately, my dad's not around anymore. But uh, you know, according to Google, at least anyways, we have 1,400 reviews. We're the highest rated Chinese restaurant in Vancouver. But really? we're one of the highest rated restaurants, period. You know, same as Le Crocodile, wow. Il Giardino. And I think that for me, it was another experiment. Most of the things that I do, it's like, how do we build a case study around so other people can learn from what we've done, good or yeah. bad? And so for me, I try to take all of the elements from any Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. But if I looked after the marketing, the branding, the design, the decor, the sort of the front end, how does that translate? And, you know, it's been successful both financially, but I think also for the people that work there. Mm -hmm. You know, during COVID, we didn't have any turnover. They love working there. And so my goal in the beginning was I wanted to be the best owner of a, you know, boss at a Chinese restaurant. And wow. I think it-, it How many it seats does the restaurant have? 48. And um, what, what's the kind of cuisine? I mean, I, so it was something just called generically Chinese barbecue. I know generically Chinese barbecue, which is kind of a comfort food for Cantonese people. Okay. And so we grew up eating that. My dad every Saturday would go to Chinatown and pick up Chinese barbecue. So there was a very well-known restaurant like two doors down that had burned down. Okay. And I managed to have the number of the the cashier. So I got in touch with some of the staff, and I hired them to come and work for me. And that was a re the reason why I did it. It wasn't like I had a big aspiration. It's like, oh, I'm going to open a Chinese barbecue restaurant. But here are these people that had been at a restaurant for 30 years, now had nowhere to work. So, right. so I hired them to come and work for me. And I think that for me, I also love the idea of elevating or making more popular something that is maybe not that many people know about it. Yeah. So so for, I would say, Westerners, probably Chinese or Cantonese barbecue wasn't that well known. So I wanted something that was very accessible. So if you were non-Chinese you know, Chinese speaking, you would go in and somebody would help you and yeah. you could eat something. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'll put that on my list. My, ki my kids, <laughs> I have a, an 11, 10, and 7-year-old. Yeah. And we normally go to Connie's on 4th because we're, we're over in the Kitsilano side. Mm -hmm. And they always want to go to Connie's, so I think I'll, I'll yes. divert their attention. We'll go try we'll and come down. and see us sometime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Chinatown Storytelling Center. When did that open again? So we opened in November of 2021. It okay. was kind of during COVID. Yeah, it was delayed, but we decided that we we're going to open it anyways. And you know that was a, it was a huge deal. As I said, that was the first permanent exhibition exhibition space to tell the story of the Chinese Canadian experience. Yeah, and. Um, what would I, if I went there, what would I learn in going in there as a, you know, a, a local non-Chinese Canadian uh, going in there? What would I, something I learned that would make, kind of fascinate me? Well, I think sort of like the contribution of those early settlers and the sort of sacrifices that they made. But, you know, once again, talking about the railroad, like that would have probably been impossible to connect Eastern Canada to the Pacific without the Chinese railroad workers. Mm -hmm. So that made us a country. Yeah. But the other was, you know, for the, in the Second World War, the Chinese soldiers that volunteered to fight who weren't Canadian citizens basically decided that they were going to fight for a country that didn't want them, but they eventually won the right for all minorities to vote. So 
I think there's some chapters that make you look at what people's contributions are very differently. And, you know, the way we did the storytelling center, I mean, yes, this is sort of a story through the eyes of, you know, Chinatown, but it's kind of the immigrant story. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I love so much about it is that people from different nationalities have gone through and it's like, that is my story. You know, we had somebody working with us um, on the project when we just got started and he was from Russia. And he wrote us a note after and it, it brought us most, most of us to tears, but he said, it made me think of my own journey and my father's sacrifices for me to come to this country. And I think that's what we all need to do is think about this country is that we're all immigrants, that yeah. we're all contributing to what we are in different ways. Yeah, well said. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about the revitalization vision you have. So it's pinned down to these three ideas of cultural, economic, and physical. Um, how do you, and I'm going to talk about, I guess, the combination of physical slash um, uh, economical in with respect to real estate development. Um, in my short time here in Vancouver as an adult in the last 20 years, we've watched this kind of um, shift of of building activity uh, in downtown east side with I think about I think of the Woodward building first mm -hmm. and um, we've seen other buildings kind of going up and and Chinatown is probably going to start to see some of this activity as just the population grows and there needs to be more Absolutely. places to live yeah. so how do you balance the need between keeping things historic and traditional in Chinatown yeah. but also supporting modern development I think that is one of the best questions. I mean, what we say at the foundation, development with no preservation is just as bad as preservation with no development. It basically is, it's this very fine line. We have yeah. to keep changing. So we, you don't want to be- a line, I like that. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to be stagnant, but there's this balance of making sure that you honor history, honor the past, embrace the culture, but we need to progress. And you're absolutely right. Like there's. Um, development going on, and, and as long as it's consistent with kind of the spirit of the neighborhood, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, as we mentioned just before we started filming, we've had we had uh, Melissa Carmen Lee on, who's the CEO for the uh, Chinese Canadian Museum that just recently opened. Um, you also have a business um, business improvement association, I believe. Yes. Um, how do how do you work, um, Carol, with these different groups like? Do you collaborate at all with uh, with Melissa's group or with the BIA? Uh, I also know you mentioned Ken Sim, and he's Melissa had mentioned he's got a mayor's uh, satellite office in Chinatown yes. now. So can you talk to a minute about how you're collaborating with other community leaders? Yeah. To I think it's yeah. essential uh -huh. um, for us to get where we need to go. Um, collaboration is the only way. So you know the museum just opened up uh, in June. We work. Uh, also with the Sun Yat-sen Garden. So I think that we're launching a like a, a three-way ticket of some sort with the Chinese Canadian Museum and the Sun Yat-sen Garden, the Chinatown Storytelling Center. So on the cultural side, that is kind of what we, we collaborate in that way. On the economic side, we work closely, very closely with the BIA and the Vancouver Chinatown Merchants Association. And we usually do most of our projects that we work on include them as well as the garden. So I, I totally agree with you that, you know, you can, you will go way farther um, if we all work together. Yeah. And I think that that has been the foundation of what, why we've been successful at the things that we've done 
is that we try and be a good partner and a good collaborator. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, Ken Sim, who we both know quite well, uh, is Vancouver's first Chinese Canadian mayor. I think that's a correct way, politically correct way yes, to say it. Absolutely. Um, so, has Ken had a pretty material impact on this revitalization effort that you're undertaking? He has, and you know, we're very grateful. It was one of his campaign promises that he was going to help revitalize Chinatown, and he yeah. absolutely stuck to that promise. Um, the council passed unanimously a motion in January of this year to uplift Chinatown. Uh, we work closely with the city, and they did open their office uh, sometime this summer. And Ken has been a, a great champion of Chinatown. I will say this, that this is the first time since I've been working on the revitalization effort that all three levels of government have been aligned. Really? So we got a, a major grant from the federal government through Pacific Can and, and Minister Sajan. Okay. of $1.8 million, and then a $2.2 million grant from the provincial government through uh, Premier Evie and Minister Popham. So these these will be spent, hopefully, um, deployed within the next couple of months. And you will see some sort of major lighting infrastructure projects. Um, yeah. I think that will help change the way people look at the neighborhood. So, yeah. And then that you combine that with a $2.1 million that uh, the city, um, with Ken, have used for their Uplift Chinatown sort of mandate. And so yeah. things are all moving in the right direction. So okay. we're really glad. Okay, good. Yeah. When I think about um, making a urban center a little bit more um, visitor friendly and livable, I think of what I would almost describe as the Europeification of areas. Like when I think of like when I go to major cities in Europe, especially on the evenings and weekends, they'll take areas that may have um, automobile traffic during the day gets cut off at nighttime on the weekends so they can have you know outdoor cafes and that type of thing. We know what this current council is, pro it started with the previous council, but the first current council at city council are really big on pushing to have more outdoor dining areas uh, that sort of bleed into even parking, you know, what used to be parking spot spots on the road. Um, when I think of Chinatown as a child, I think about like, you know, neon lights and st yes. strings of lights and people moving around and people having, you know, food yeah. to eat. And so is there any ways in which you could see maybe either temporarily, um, I mean, on a Granville Strip, for example, yeah. where all those bars are, you know, yeah. in the summertime now, the, I think the Vancouver police have done a good job of just yeah. cutting off traffic entirely so that young people can just walk drunk from the Roxy yeah. to whatever the other place is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any a vision about this for Chinatown to make it more um, pedestrian friendly and maybe bring in, because you need buyers, right? You need people to come in to spend money. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The key to revitalization is bringing people back to the neighborhood. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So our job is to give them reasons to come back. So yeah. along this line, we started in 2021. So during COVID, it, you know, Chinatown was very badly hit. So the rise of anti-Asian racism yeah. and then people weren't going out anyways and definitely didn't want to go to Chinatown. So we decided that we were going to have a festival called Light Up Chinatown. Okay. And we put that together. And, you know, the first year we had like five or 6,000 Last year, we had 8,000. This year, we had almost 20,000 people that showed really? up. But it was to do exactly what you talked about. Yeah. It was to give people an idea of what it could be. Yeah. So we had lights. We had food collaborations. It was electric. And I think that, you know, the first year we had it, the merchant said, we haven't seen this many sort of this kind of hustle and bustle, you know, in a couple of decades. And so our job is to show people what is possible. And so yeah. absolutely... 
that is something that we should aspire to having. And I think this lighting infrastructure where we've got money from the, both the federal and provincial governments will help enable that to happen What's too. that going to do? When you say lighting, can you talk a bit, a bit more? Are we going to go back to the 1960s neon lights? And Well, we have a like little that? bit of money for yeah. uh, neon, so we'll sort yeah. of test that out. But so for the first amount of money, what we were planning to do is light up all of the cultural icons. So the Millennium Gate, okay. nice. the exterior wall of the Sun Yat-sen Garden, the yeah. Chinese Cultural Center is a beautiful museum building. Yeah. And then there's a huge facade on Pender Street some of the historic buildings, and then we've got lights going in all the trees, like in the 16 blocks. So you start saying, you know, we're open for business, come and see us. And, you know, maybe people will just start driving through, even if they don't want to get their car out at night, just to come and see how pretty the lights might look. And so I think this is going to be the beginning of, of I think, a a dramatic change in the way people look at the neighborhood. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I I hope you're right. I hope you achieve this. this actually leads into neighborhood safety. Yeah. Um, Vancouver police highlighted that violent crime in the city had increased by more than 7% in 2021 uh, compared to the pre-COVID levels. In the fall of 2021, the department said that uh, four random attacks were happening every yeah. day. Now, Chinatown, as we both know, is really just right on the edge of yeah. the tragic downtown east side that um, has become a real problem for all of us. Yeah. Um, so how do you manage that? Because you're not going to have the resources to, you know, deal with that issue. I've got to assume, I, ha- I mean, I admittedly, I haven't been down to Chinatown as a pedestrian in a while, but I assume that you're going to see a lot of these homeless people um, working their way and living in, you know, yeah. nooks and crannies within, you know, and, I, and it's not a knock against them. These people are, you know, in a really tragic state of affairs. <clears throat> but, you know, if you're going to try to attract people, and I think about the converse, the story that Melissa told about when she was um, seven years old and her mom would drop her off in front of uh, her mom's favorite bakery in Chinatown and then drive around trying to find some parking. And she had no concerns of leaving her seven-year-old daughter on the street in Chinatown. We, we were all like that. Right. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's too optimistic to think we can get back to that, but I'd like to think we can get to something better than what we have today. So... How do we deal with this whole safety issue? Well, absolutely, we can get to a better place. You know, it's any kind of problem that's complex like this will require a comprehensive approach for a solution. There's no one silver bullet, but there's lots of little things that can go on that can kind of lead us to a better state of safety. So, you know, one of the things that Ken had said, like out of the gate, was I was he was going to hire an, an additional hundred police officers and a hundred. Um, additional um, mental, mental health, health nurses. Uh, nurses. Yeah. So they've kind of done that. So that's like w- one piece of it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that um, what we're trying to do, because I always like to be part of a solution. So I, I spoke earlier of the 58 West Hastings yeah. um, project. So that's Look. probably going to be one of the largest social housing projects in Vancouver. In fact, Chris Sheffield is out on Thursday. She's going to be making an announcement on housing. She'll do it from that building. And Great. She was. Uh, it you, was a, can you t- take a minute to talk about it a bit more? Because I think most I would, people don't know. I, about... I would love to. Okay. So it took 13 years to put this project together. Like yeah. you know, I had my first meeting in 2011, but the idea was that our philosophy at the foundation was that, you know, for us to be successful, also our neighbor had to be healthy and successful. So you can imagine we're a small foundation, and we had to convince the the board that the first 
30 million that I was going to raise was not for Chinatown. It was actually for the downtown east side. So it was a very ambitious project. It, um, it's $150 million if you include the land that the city vended in. All three levels of government, along with um, Vancouver Coastal Health. So they're going to run a 50,000-square-foot integrated health facility. But we liked this idea of having something where, you know, it would make a statement. And I think by the time we're finished, this will, I used to think, oh, it'll be the gold standard. It will be the Rolls Royce of social housing in Canada. Um, besides the 50,000-square-foot integrated health facility, we have a community partnership program. And one of the people on our board is Martha Piper, who was president emeritus of, of UBC. So she's like, was like one of the uh, co-chairs of the fundraising committee. And she goes, no, no, I think we need to do more. So we kept pushing it. And so we came up with this idea for a community partnership program because we want the people that are living there to feel that it's a community within a community. Okay. So we've already signed up 40 companies under three different pillars, health and wellness, life skills and mentoring and experiences, so that these companies will provide goods and services. So we have like Deloitte, um, Dress for Success, Nature's Path, the mm -hmm. Vancouver Canucks, the Whitecaps Alliance. I mean, this is really extraordinary. Wow. Most, most social housing projects wouldn't have any program. But that's what I think we can do as a community, and that's why I actually like calling this community housing, because it took a community to put it together. Yeah. So, and then the last piece is that, so we had a, we have a gala every year, and last year, um, Martha uh, Martha Sturdy, the artist, and um, Angela Grossman came as guests of um, Tom Gautreau. and they were so inspired by this housing project. They said, "We want to have an art program for this building." said, we know so many artists that kind of had roots in the downtown East Side of Chinatown. So this year's gala, we had um, seven artists that auctioned off items um, that we raised the money to go to the building, but there'll be replicas of all of these pieces in the building. So we had Doug Copeland, yeah. Angela, you know, Ken Lum, who did the Vancouver East Van Cross, as well as Stan Douglas, who was the representative for Canada in the 2022 Venice Biennale. So he had a very well-known, iconic piece. He's a photographer. It's called Every Building on 100 West Hastings. So I'm in okay. 58. So it was right in, it's the whole block. It was 21 high-resolution images that were sutured together, and it's 16 feet long. Really? So he, it hasn't been available for decades. There's one in the VAG collection, I think one in the Museum of Houston, uh, yeah, Fine Arts Museum in Houston. But he gave us the artist's proof the one that was left and so so he gave that to us and so it was an incredible auction to have you know the likes of Lawrence Paul and Dana Claxton you know so wow. so we had all of this done and I think that what was amazing about it was listening to the artists and why it was so important for them to do it you know somebody like a Ken Lum so we said okay tell us why you wanted to be involved in this he was born in Strathcona his grandfather worked as a cook at the only seafood his father was a um, was a waiter at the Smiling Buddha. It's right here. <laughs> His mother was worked at a laundry on Kiefer and Main, and that's why people got all. So you can sort of see all of these ties, and that is all about community. So when I called him, he now lives in Philadelphia, and uh, we reached out, and he goes, "I'd love to be involved." We took him on a tour of the building, and he goes, "This is amazing." He wow. goes, "I actually grew up in social housing." So. I hope that people see social housing as a way of helping elevate people, uh, how to provide support so that they can 
you know, move on and in, yeah. in, in life and, and feel that they can do, go on and do more. Wow. That's so, yeah, yeah great. I agree. And, and so 58 uh, West Hastings, how, how many people with this, I mean, in addition to the healthcare services and all the other businesses that yeah. are going to be supporting the people who live there as well as the local area residents, how many people are actually going to live in this building? So there'll be 231 units of housing, but wow. some of them will be like the 25% of those are two bedrooms. So okay. you can see that probably 300 people or more really could live there. Wow. And so I think that, you know, you can do a lot um, with that kind of scale. And that's yeah. why it was worth it for me. Like it was a real slog. Like, you know, once again, yeah. all of these different, like I had to go through and this is where perseverance and like yeah. not giving up yeah. helps. But like three different mayors, you know, three city planners, three right. city men. Like you just have to keep, keep going, going through the regimes, but finding people along the way that believe in what you're doing and are yeah. willing to help you. And so yeah. I found a lot of good people along the way. We worked closely with CMHC and BC Housing and wouldn't have been wouldn't have happened without them. Well, well, good for you. This is I mean, this is the kind of stories we want to tell. I mean, even for the young people who listen to this podcast to give them some inspiration to just don't give up. You know, no. you got a dream. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned amongst those different companies, Dress for Success, we had Amy Robichaud yes. Robo yeah. uh, on she's our- She's awesome. Yeah, she yeah. is great. Yeah. We interviewed her maybe about a year ago, Yeah, and it was like a really enlightening conversation. Yeah, yeah. and th those are the kind of people we want to partner with. We have Vancouver Public Library and you know the Vancouver Art Gallery. It just goes on and on. And almost, I stopped asking because everybody said yes. Is so, that right? <laughs> so we will figure out how to operationalize it. It's easy to give away the- the tickets, but like, how do you, do, what do the other programs look like? So yeah. that's what we're working on now. Yeah. Is it safe? I've got three young kids I mentioned, 11, 10, and seven. Is it safe for me to take my kids down to Chinatown today? I think it is, but you know, it's like everywhere in the city. You mentioned earlier four random attacks, you know, every day. Yeah. So, so yes, there's probably a little bit more given our proximity to the downtown east side, but yeah. But I think for the most part, I feel safe. My mother is 89. She comes down all the time. Yeah. And so I, I think that, I hope that we can make it safer, though, because we there is this perception that it's not. And I think that one of the best ways that we can have more people come is to make them feel that it is a safe place to visit. And that's why yeah. we do this Light Up Chinatown Festival yeah. every year. When is the Light Up Chinatown Festival? So it's the first um, weekend after Labor Day weekend. So okay. I think next year is like the 8th or the 9th. Yeah. But, it is electric. It's yeah. really fun. And, you know, this year we had, so we have a passport because we want everybody to walk through the entire like 16 blocks. Yeah. So we had great prizes. So we had like Beyonce tickets. 16 blocks within Chinatown? Well, not 16, but you know, if you go yeah. Main Street, it's like yeah, maybe yeah. 12, something around there. I didn't even but, know. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. But it was great. So we had like, you know, 20, 1,600 people fill out the passport because we had great prizes. Right. You know, we had tickets to Coldplay, tickets to Beyonce. So we're trying to attract a different demographic. We yeah. had like gift certificate from Aritzia. So it was yeah. worked out great. Oh, yeah. that's neat. Yeah, it's fun. If I, I, I haven't been down to Chinatown in a long time. I haven't taken my kids down there since they were- I'll invite you for lunch. Okay, well, yeah, I'd love to come. Okay. I took, I remember taking our daughters, this before COVID, there was the um, the Chinese New Year's parade. Yes. And that's so exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, when does that typically happen? I guess it, because it's a different calendar it, it, system. It dif different calendars. But I think Chinese New Year this year is like February 12th, so it's around yeah. that weekend. Yeah. yeah. Are you involved in that at all? No. No, okay. Yeah. Um, I do think, back to our beginning of our conversation, you mentioned the shift and the change of Chinatown and when things started kind of go downhill was partly a result of people uh, going other places. And you mentioned Richmond. 
I know a lot of people go to Richmond's night market. Yeah. So is that something that would be part of your vision for the future to start having some more lively night events that could be done in Chinatown? Absolutely. Or is that there already? I don't even know about it. No, not really. Okay. But that would absolutely be part of a, a vision on, you know, how you could activate Chinatown at night. Yeah. Yeah. So if I wanted but to the go... the safety yeah. thing comes back into right. that. So, you know, there's a lot of pieces that have to kind of work before you can get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. So if I went down to Chinatown in the daytime with my yeah. kids, what would be some, maybe you can may, name a couple of really great places other than your restaurant to go check out? Like, is there, are there shops that I should see? Obviously there's your storytelling center, but storytelling and there's center? Melissa's m museum. Um, but, but but you could yeah. go to like Newtown Bakery. Okay. You know, there's... There's some great, you know, tea shops down there. I would say Dollar Meats if you needed to get some appliances, you know, um, forum stores. There's lots of little, I would call them hidden gems. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and, and that's sort of what we try and do when we've got Light Up Chinatown is have a passport so people actually have to get stamps so that they, they have these discoveries where, wow, I didn't know about that, yeah. that store. So around Lunar New Year, I think that we're going to, we've had Taste of Chinatown before. It's sort of like a walking food tour of Chinatown. And yeah. I think that we might be doing that again at Chinese New Year this year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the stores that used to be down there, Ming Wo. Ming yes. Ming Wo. Oh, Ming Wo. Yeah. It was a fantastic store. Yeah. My wife loves shopping yeah. too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great store. Yeah. Um, they've got one on Broadway and one on West 4th. But I remember seeing the news when they made the decision to shut down their store in Chinatown. And they cited that it was because of all the risk and potential risk to their yeah. employees, uh, that they weren't getting as much business. Are you starting to see companies like them revisit coming back into Chinatown yet? Not yet, but a, Not yet. a little bit. Okay. But, you know, I, I, I was at, actually at a meeting with one of the owners, so Fontaine, and it, she said to the, you know, it was the new council back then, not this council, but it was four years ago. I'm begging you to do something. So you can imagine how hard it is for somebody when they beg in public. Yeah, sure. That you need to do something. But it's just, you know, I think it's been, a, it's a very challenging problem mm -hmm. that you can sort of see why it's like, well, what do we do? But if we don't start and start piece, you know, taking it apart and dealing with little pieces of it, yeah. we're not going to get anywhere. And I think that there seems to be um, some appetite lately that we're going to have to start looking at, you know, what things do we need to get done? And I applaud Premier Eby, who, like a year, like this year, said, I'm going to own it. Like, that's mm -hmm. the first politician I've heard that says, I'm going to do something about it. So that means a lot to people like me that are working in Chinatown. And I think he is the person who can make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with your point of, you know, sometimes when you're met with such a astronomical you know, of uh, like task in front of you. Sometimes the best thing to do is just start doing something little, little, like just to get started. Totally. Right? Like your idea of of just doing enhanced lighting throughout Chinatown will be that one step movement forward to get other people buying into the idea of like, oh, well, if you do that, now maybe we start. Oh, now you can see the paint needs to be better. We have to paint totally. this because this yes. it's lit up now, and yeah. right. And that's a. I think that's a really good approach to to this. And you know, for me, community is all about if we all do a little bit. Yeah. It, it gets better. And yeah. so that's why, you know, for me, it's, it's like, you know, I feel lucky to work with so many different organizations and nonprofits and individuals and corporations that are all now kind of moving towards like, well, let's see what we can do together. Yeah. 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 Well, on that note, 
let's talk about how our listeners, we have a lot of local Vancouverites, people who are you know, very successful in their careers, uh, like to give back to the community by way of their volunteer hours or by money or both. Um, you're a foundation, you're a registered charity. I did look you up on the CRA website. I was really impressed by your low administration fees and how I always, that's what I always want. I'm a someone, volunteer, that's why. <laughs> Um, I was really impressed. I mean, you you have a fairly small operating budget. It looks like it's only about three million a year. If I got oh no, less than that. I think two yeah. million. Okay, yeah. um, but uh, you're you're putting the money allocating where it should go to, which is uh, is great to see. But if you want to make appeal to people listening to this today, what can they do to get involved? Is there volunteer opportunities? Is it really just donations? What no, can... definitely volunteer opportunities yeah. for people of any age and you know any skill set. Okay. Um, they can donate if they want to uh, on our website. So we're at Chinatownfoundation.org. But, you know, for me, when, you know, we have our, our job is to inspire people to want to get involved in whatever way they can. Yeah. So, so some people don't have time. They want to donate money. Some people have time and we love that too. And sometimes it's just going to be coming to the neighborhood and going to a restaurant or buying something and then in a store, right. a little Good shop, point. and supporting local. Yeah. So there's so many things people can do. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, this has been an excellent conversation. Carol Lee, you're the founder and chairwoman for the Chinatown Foundation and also the proud owner of Chinatown Barbecue, which I plan to bring my wife and kids <laughs> to to have dinner at. Um, you're doing an amazing job with the foundation and uh, appreciate the work you do for our community and keep going. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah.